This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing games and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Monday, December 2nd of 2019, it's episode 167. In this episode, Lawful Neutral, part two of our alignment series, plus our experience with RPGs outside of D&D, Adorable Kittens, Inspector Javert, Characters as Obstacles, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Jenny. And there's the other cat. Yes. Hello, hello, Sorry, cats. My, yeah, we're about to talk about more. You knew. It's like you can read. You knew there would be kittens. Yes, I have kittens, and it's wonderful. Well, so tell us about these kittens. Okay, they're kittens, and they're great. That, that's all you needed to know. They were kittens, and they're wonderful. No, um, give us, <laughs> give us colors. Give us personalities. Give us origin. <laughs> so my mother-in-law has kind of an old shed in her backyard, and uh, a we have a large quantity of feral cats around because rural woodland, people who don't take care of their animals, and yada, yada, yada. It's a problem. Anyway, this mother cat showed up with a bunch of kittens, and we tried to kind of move them up to our yard. We have a old shop, different old shop on our land, and... Tried to uh, move them into there, but the mother cat absolutely refused to be taken with her kittens. So we suddenly found ourselves in possession of five little kittens who needed lots of TLC because they were definitely eating mama cat to death. Uh, Mama Mm. cat could not provide enough for them. So one of either mama or kittens were going to go. Yeah, we have five kittens who are in much better health now. One is solid black with like... Just enough of a kind of cocoa brown in there to see a little bit of tabby striping, Mm. but is pretty much just a solid black cat. Okay. My three-year-old has named him Moon Eye. I don't understand why. Hmm. That's that's it. You're stuck with a three-year-old's name for the rest of your life, cat. Did your three-year-old spell it? Uh, Three-year-old has cannot spell and has not even defined for me whether it's one word or two. Okay, because honestly... Sounds a whole heck of a lot like a warrior cat's name. It kind of does. A little. We could pretend that. I'm kind of tempted to just name him Moon Moon because memes. <laughs> you can, that can be his nickname. Oh, there's going to be a lot of nicknames. This is a, this is a, of this cat's going to be a chonker. This is going to be a chonker. Chonker. <laughs> there's a wonderful little tux who has a soul patch, which is kind of funny. <laughs> Is it the kind of soul patch that makes him look surprised all the time, like he's got an open mouth? No, it's the kind that makes him look like a 40-year-old man who still owns a guitar that he never learned to play. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, he's also quite cute. Very, very active. And then there is a solid orange long-haired who is a lovely little girl. Uh, Fun fact, I posted a picture of this cat who we had temporarily named Citrus to the Awe subreddit. Mm-hmm. And you basically it won, won the, the internet. It won the yeah. internet for the day. She got up like huh. 45,000 votes, was the top post on the Awe subreddit wow. for a while. <laughs> Very cute. Because solid orange cats are not normally ladies either. They're That's not really... normally female, no. And I had a wonderful yeah. picture of her sitting on my lap and kind of looking up and kind of getting that cat smile going. It was oh. very cute. Yeah. Super cute picture. And then there's another orange female, orange and white, who's short hair. My parents are taking Citrus and this cat. They've named uh, the long-haired one Bella. Like I said, Citrus was a temporary name. And this one is Rhonda. Rhonda is 
actually the biggest of them and very, very active. So, Ronda Rousey. Uh, yes, although this is actually named after <laughs> a Spanish town. Mm. They, they just finished a trip uh, to oh, yeah. Spain and Portugal mm. and loved Ronda. And they're like, oh, we'll name this cat Ronda after the wonderful time we had there. So, <laughs> she does feel like a Ronda. Weird. It's mm. weird, but it works. She's um, mm. she's very, very playful, very, very active, but, you know, sweet enough. She was the shyest when we first rescued them. So it's really good that she has come out of her shell and is very playful and very much like, you, human, play with me. She's still <laughs> maybe the most skittish if something startles the cats, but otherwise she's she's not particularly a scaredy cat, though she does have the saddest eyes. They're great. Oh, You know, those those little downturned sad cat eyes. Uh-huh. Yeah, she's got those. Uh, and then there is a little orange and white puffball named Rush. Full name is Endorphin Rush because the person <laughs> taking him likes neurochemicals. And he is a very sweet little puffball. And we're all very, we're going to miss him because he's super sweet and the kind of cat who will just climb into your hand and immediately fall asleep. Aww. Uh, the two long hairs were pretty underweight. They all had parasites because outdoor cats i mean that's how it goes right mm-hmm. so we had to kind of watch them a little closely but otherwise uh, you know they're all growing they're all eating well uh, parasite medicine is doing its job trust me i i'm cleaning the litter box for five kittens it's it's doing uh. its job um mm. not to be too detailed about that but let's just say things are getting better <laughs> and um, yeah, they're, they're all growing very well. We're going we're gonna to keep the two black ones. The orange ones all immediately found homes, like I said, parents <laughs> and then a friend of ours. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be good. So, cool. yeah, kittens, we have kittens. Yee. I do not think they will be podcats because cats are generally not allowed into the room I record in. But until now, that's only been because one of them chews books. So, mm. yeah, if these two don't chew books... Maybe they'll get special permission to come and mew quietly into the microphone. <laughs> anyway, that's what I've been doing with my week, nonstop. <laughs> How are y'all? Thanksgiving went pretty well. Had one kind of like turkey cooking time related incident at the first place we went that kind of made things challenging, but it all worked out in the end. So interestingly, our landlord shared some Thanksgiving leftovers with us just because my Wife bumped into him outside taking some trash out and got into a conversation. So that was unexpected and nice. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Chrissy actually did a lot of our cooking. We hosted this year, which was the first time we've really ever hosted both sides of the family together. And we did the turkey. First time we've ever done that. Did gravy based off the the turkey drippings and all that good stuff. And everything came off really well. Chrissy did an awesome job. That was nice. Cool. I didn't have Thanksgiving. No, you had it a while back. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. did. Yeah, you're a Canadian. You celebrated at a different time. <laughs> yeah, we celebrated actual harvest. <laughs> yep. No, the end of November is just miserable, and we needed something. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of like why the most hopeful holiday of the Christian calendar is in the middle of December. <laughs> yeah. Well, if we're going purely off hope, February, mid February, we need one. Please, I'm begging you. <laughs> I mean, uh, Valentine's Day is there, but... No, no, no. I said a happy holiday, Peter. <laughs> oh, come on. You're happily married. Also, you, happily you don't married. get time off. I'm sorry. I have I have a, a thing about, like, it's not a holiday if you don't get time off. Okay, that's valid. I, I, 
I can accept that. <laughs> All right. How's everybody's gaming going? Uh, my 5e Sunday game continues to go well. I had like a half-length session uh, yesterday because you can probably hear a little bit of it. My voice wasn't 100% and I've got like the mildest but most persistent chest cold. I've just got low-key phlegm and eh. But yeah, it's it's going good. They're they're exploring. They're slowly uh, visiting different parts of the map and starting to uh, really care about the bigger picture. So that's kind of cool. They're starting to strategize about doing things so that um, it'll bring one rival nation into contact with another rival nation. And those two will wind up like chewing up each other's resources because they don't like each other either. And so, yeah, it's cool. How's uh how's your vampire game going? It's actually going well in that we had a vampire session and that was exciting. How's Powered by the Dark doing? Powered by the Dark is doing okay. We only got to really play with it a little bit and we're just sort of stepping into the system foolishly or maybe not so foolishly. I am sort of introducing these guys, all these these characters and players to um kind of larger vampire society in London, or at least this little part of London for the first time. London is so big and such an important thing, they'd be way out of their depth. So we're technically like in Haringey. Okay. Just one little part of London. That's sort of where, what we're set, setting this in. As such, there was a lot of just talking to NPCs. So there wasn't a whole lot of rolling the system and making things happen. But we did a little bit and we're going to do more. So it, We'll see how it goes. In some ways, it's easing them in. In other ways, it's like, well, did we really use the system? No, I don't know how it works. Eh. But yeah, it's cool. As far as other gaming, okay, so I think longtime listeners to this show know that I struggle some with anxiety and depression. And lately, the, the depression's been hitting me hard. I, and the excitement in my voice is one of those things that, you know, maybe people need to, to know about with depression. It's not necessarily I'm not personable it's i just i can't do things i get i get afraid of doing work or i just i can't function it's a problem right it's been hitting me hard like i said and prepping for the eberron game has been kicking my behind one of the things that we've talked about my wife and i is running her through a dnd module in this case one of the longer campaign length ones yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like a little one-off, you know, six-page module kind of thing, like a full-on campaign. I've enjoyed the Eberron game. It's got a lot going for it. I want to come back to it, but I just, I need something where I'm not doing lots and lots of prep. I did pick a module, as it happens, that has a, some prep in it because it's pretty open-ended. This is the Princes of the Apocalypse module. Picked it up from D&D Beyond. They were having a Black Friday or Cyber Monday sale, so it was 20 bucks online and... Given that I need the online version to be able to get the uh, the high quality digital maps to put into Roll20, that works out fine. Yeah. So I grabbed that. And also having everything hyperlinked is actually kind of nice, to be perfectly honest, uh, because it, it references – I will say this for D&D Beyond. Everything in the module is – it's not just a PDF they give you. They actually have everything in HTML – you mouse over things, stat blocks pop up, you click on images, uh, you get high quality versions of them, you, you, everything is hyperlinked to each other. So it's like, oh yeah, when we talk about this thing over here, it's hyperlinked. It's actually quite nice. 
That sounds pretty good. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. So I grabbed this module. It is it is really kind of a homage to the old 1985 Temple of Elemental Evil module, which is pretty cool. The enemies are the you know the elemental evil cults. It it kind of has that whole that whole vibe to it, but rather than being set in Greyhawk, it's in the Forgotten Realms. It starts off with a little bit of investigation and then a hex crawl. The other thing that's kind of interesting there is that also keys into that uh, Elemental Evil Player's Guide that's got some of the races that haven't been printed in any of the other official material. So that's got like the Aarakocra and the Ganassi and some other neat stuff like that in there. Which I'm sure comes out of this module or at least is connected to it in some way because Ganassi are in the back of the module as a playable character race. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's set up as part of this module. You know, you're coming back to different places over and over. There are consequences for places depending on how things like, you know, locations may see changes it's very open-ended you can approach things in any order you want it's pretty cool now obviously as the tension ramps up and the focus of the game is less investigation and more we have discovered the the big bad and need to do something about it it becomes a little more linear but that's because you've done all the investigation and now understand what's going on well and that's kind of how most adventure stuff works you know you start out with it more open-ended and then it kind of builds to some kind of a conclusion but what's cool is there's also a bunch of side quests of in the module yeah you you and i got into a little bit of a discussion about this on discord earlier today it sounds like it's a really neat piece of design it is i i think it's going to be pretty good not every not every dungeon and every encounter is necessarily the height of brilliance in terms of design yeah, but they don't have to be. No, sometimes it's just, there are six thugs. And that's okay, right? Yeah, I mean, sometimes you actually want some of that so the other stuff stands out more. If everything is like this crazy, innovative set piece thing, it actually, the novelty starts to become less novel. I suppose that's true. But then again, if everything is boring, that's also not great. Right. It looks cool. I'm excited. This is my first time running a module. It was a little intimidating to kind of crack it open and go, okay, it's not till chapter three that we actually get to, here's how you introduce the player characters to the the setting and (laughs) the thing. Because there's two chapters of background. Wow. It's That's a lot to absorb. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, it is the one town that you're sort of, is the hub area. It's like, yeah, here's... 24 buildings and all the relevant NPCs for all of those buildings. It's like, okay, this is a lot. Oh, and then here's this, uh, chapter three is, let's introduce you to the area. And oh, by the way, here's the entire valley. Here's the hex map. It's a huge hex map. And each hex is four miles. Okay. So, you know, it's big. It's cool. I, I am intrigued. And obviously, as we run it, I will have updates. You said, you know, you've you've never actually um, run a game like this. I've never played in one either. Yeah, I haven't played in one either. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, it should be interesting. Jenny, any gaming news for you? Not in particular. I think I heard you say a while back that maybe not on the podcast that your library game for kids is going well. Yeah, it's sort of stagnating partly because of, uh, I mean, it's winter now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it is physically difficult to leave the house for, for everybody. I'm not even talking about like 
my agoraphobia, which I do still have, I'm talking about the inch of ice in the driveway. <laughs> no, no, I, I completely <laughs> so, understand. I, so yeah, it's it's yeah. been. I, I think it may well go through a, a December, January, February hiatus. Maybe picking up again in March. Yeah, you're not going to be able to get a bunch of you know tweens on dis on uh, Discord and roll especially- twenty for a library game. <laughs> oh yeah, no, especially not when like half of them are in hockey. So so no. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, this is run each other into the boards uh, season. They're not going to. They'll they'll be beating each other up for real. They won't need to do it uh-huh. in a tabletop game. <laughs> now here's the thing. I, I mean, I guess it does sort of happen a bit like that in hockey, but I think in Canada the focus in hockey is much less on the fight. Like there's the old school thought of like, oh no, yeah, hockey, it's okay, fighting's just part of the game. Well, no, stop it. It's really. I'm not even so much talking about, like, fighting. It's just hockey's a rough sport. There's a lot of, like, skating into each other, skating into the wall. Like, I mean, a guy recently lost nine teeth because a puck managed to get under his faceplate. So, yeah. 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 I mean, it it is a physical sport, and it's a, a, I'm not going to say full contact sport exactly, but there's plenty of contact. There's a lot. You wear a lot of pads for a reason. Mm -hmm. And mouth guards. And face yep. shields. And yes. everything. So. <laughs> All of <Yeah>. that. <laughs> they can rest their bruises before, uh, before the game, right? Yeah. yeah. One last thing that I've got before we move on. I made it to 43,000-ish words. Um, a little more than that. I want to say like 43,300 or 500 or something like that in November. I did not make it all the way to the 50,000 mark because I emptied all of the stuff that I don't have to research out of my brain, basically. <laughs> so now I'm going to probably be moving into a multi-year research project with this thing, and I've got something like 50 books to read, so <laughs> that's my writing project. Good luck, but hey, good job good job sticking with it, honestly, throughout November. Like, 43,000 mm-hmm. words is quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's probably the most productive I've been as a writer and probably ever at least a very long time we have a very big topic to talk about tonight the lawful neutral alignment we're continuing our alignment series i'm very much looking forward to the next one as well of course talking about lawful evil but our lawful neutral topic we have quite a lot to say first though we have a patreon question i have a die we're gonna roll it just like that and here's what we come up with once again i have rolled an eight on a D eight. I don't know how I do this. I wouldn't. I, I wish I could do it in game. All right. So this one comes from Aaron Arnold, who asks, have you role played in a game that wasn't D and D? I ask because I played a cyberpunk noir game and I enjoyed the RP I got to create in it. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Who I, wants to go we first? all definitely have. <laughs> we all certainly have. I mean, I like lots of different genres. I enjoy horror games. I enjoy cyberpunk myself. I'm I'm notoriously uh, the one of us, uh, the three of us most fond of Shadowrun, for example. I don't I don't know about that. You talk about it a lot, but I adore Shadowrun. I mean, I do too. And I, don't get me wrong. I, this is not a competition. This is more of like a high five across international borders. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like solid high five. I remember. Yeah, just Shadowrun, Shadowrun has a special place in my heart because it was really the first non-D&D game I ever played. Mm. Okay. There's a little bit of nostalgia and warmth there. I may not know as much about it, but it's like, oh, yeah, Shadowrun. But yes, I've role-played 
plenty of Shadowrun stuff. I mean, just looking at my shelf, you know, I've done some Rogue Trader, Legend of the Five Rings, you know, uh, fantasy Japan role-playing stuff, plenty of White Wolf stuff. I mean, yeah, you know, I've, I've done a fair bit. And of course, convention games. Honestly, I'll say this. If you want to practice role-playing in a non-D&D game, try and get out to a convention. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's like it's like a buffet. Not necessarily all you can eat, but it's defi- it's it's like a buffet where you can just fill your time with experiments. A tapas place where you get a small amount of a whole bunch of different things and you get to try them all. Is that not oh, okay? I wouldn't call that a buffet, I, but maybe I it's mean, cause... yeah. The bu- the bu- the only thing is, is it's like a buffet is you can kind of just move around and select stuff at random instead of it being brought out in courses after you select it ahead of time. Okay, and... but at a convention you do actually get to choose. You do, but yeah. you... And you get as much or as little as you want at a, at a buffet and a convention. Yeah, that's true. But you also... The reason why I'm going for something like tapas or, I guess, sushi is you kind of plan it out in advance and then get what you... Uh, 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 yeah, I mean, it depends on the con, though. Sometimes cons yeah. are just, eh, what's open? Yeah, yeah. I There definitely is pickup gaming at cons, so... Save, Save versus Fear has a lot of pickup gaming. Mo- mostly in the board game section, but there's a lot... Safe versus fear was just a lot more freeform in general. I'm mostly used to uh, fear the con, so that's which is much more structured. Most so. conventions are structured like fear the con, but if you are going for a much less time slotted experience, then save versus fear is is pretty good with a lot of pickup gaming in there. Yeah, like gotcha. you can go there and have an amazing time having signed up for nothing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean some. Some conventions are basically just run like a paper land party. Yeah. One of these days I'm going to get out to save against fear. One of these days. <laughs> I know. I keep telling myself <laughs> I that I need too. to get a better job first, but one of these days. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I think we all have, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I ran something other than D&D for our gaming group. Yeah. I, I, I ran Overlight. You did. Uh, and it was wonderful. I mean, we talked not all that long ago with my wife, Chrissy, about her experience playing uh, well, running Innocence, which is young adult slash, you know, children's horror mystery stuff in uh, World of Darkness. It's great fun. And we talked about all the role playing we did with those characters. So, yeah, I think as much as anything, it's just about an, an effort made to go try and role play other things. And yeah. I say effort in some ways, that's unfair because there are plenty of folks who don't get to go to conventions, mm-hmm. maybe don't have so much interest that they want to go to a convention, and their group is just like, no, we play D&D. That's how it is for some folks. But if you really want to, it's very easy to find people who will run or play anything else, mm-hmm. especially these days. I mean, our Discord, going to plug this for a second, has a looking for group channel for people who want to try anything else. And I'm pretty sure this is, I, this, I'm pretty sure this is the Aaron that I have in my Sunday game. So he's playing D&D with me right now. But, uh... <laughs> wait, wait to ruin the question, Peter. <laughs> I'm joking. Continue on. I, I know you are. Um, as, as far as specific stuff that I would recommend, since there's a little bit of that implied in this question, even though it's not asked for um the shadowrun setting is great although i really find the system to be slow we did a uh, savage worlds hack of it with our main group uh, kind of back towards when we were starting the podcast actually and that worked out spectacularly well 
Savage Worlds is a good system to get under your belt. I would say a generic system like GURPS or something would be a good one. Uh, try a story game of some kind. So something powered by the apocalypse or fate or something like that, maybe drama system. And then just like, if you are going to go to a gaming convention, look for at least two or three things that you have never played before that sound interesting in terms of thematic elements and sign up for that because part of those games is almost always going to be teaching you how to play that game. Mm-hmm. I, I've learned a whole bunch of different... Well, I shouldn't say learned. I've experienced a whole bunch of different systems in con games and had a very nice time doing so. Yep. Uh, the one I was going to suggest is Call of Cthulhu. It's very easy to get players for uh, online. It, there's lots of good actual plays if you want to kind of listen to people play it. Uh, it's a very simple system. It's got a few little kludges here and there, but honestly, the, the basic role-playing system from Chaosum is pretty straightforward. It's just percentile dice. And if you're not comfy with Cthulhu as a figure, um, Delta Green is a good uh, alternative. It's a great alternative, absolutely. Because it's, it's the same system, more military- Although Delta Green is still fighting the mythos. It's still got all that Cthulhu stuff in there. It's just... It, you can make it easily not, though. Yeah, it's yeah, a little it's easy. less obviously that, to be yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, and you've also got an assault rifle instead of just, you know, a thirty-two revolver and a horrible tome of Eldritch lore that's going to drive you mad. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, I think these are all good options. Anybody else got anything? I mean, I could go on for quite some time, but yeah, let's move on. So yes, Aaron, I hope that helps. Um, And thank you for your question. It's much appreciated. I'll tell you this much. If you want us to go through and like list off systems that we've been especially fond of or that gave us particularly good RP, just hit us up in our Discord. It might take a while for us to respond, but hit us up in the Discord. Absolutely. And again, we have a, a looking for group channel in the Discord for exactly that reason. Aaron, thank you for your question. It's a very good one. And if anyone else has questions that want to add, or if anyone else wants to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash saving the game. Every bit helps. Let's get our scripture uh, read because our scripture is particularly relevant to this topic, I feel. This is Deuteronomy chapter four, verses five to eight. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them, the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? And this is Mark 2, verses 23 through 28. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. 
Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. So our topic tonight is, well, lawful neutral alignments. We're continuing with our alignment series and... The lawful neutral alignment is one that I think a lot of people struggle with, and I think it's, I'm glad that we're talking about it so early in this series because there's a lot of complexity here and a lot of assumptions that many people have that I feel need to be examined, and can, they can be used, but need to be people need to be mindful. So some common baselines that we want to establish for all these episodes. First, when we're talking about alignment, self-perception doesn't matter. Right? We're talking about an objective truth of what this particular character or organization or whatever is, not what they think of themselves as. As Brandon, one of our former co-hosts, was fond of saying, nobody's the villain in their own story. Right. But in this case, we're talking about people who are, in fact, villains because we're talking about role-playing games and D&D sort of alignments specifically. We have villains. The other thing is that when we're talking about lawful in this context, we're not only meaning law-abiding. It does also mean law-abiding in certain circumstances, but it also means orderly or disciplined or structured or what, whatever. Some of the archetypes we're going to talk about have a very significant overlap between lawful and law-abiding, and yeah, we'll, we'll cover that. Some don't necessarily. Some do not, absolutely, yeah. and that's worth pointing out. The other thing I want to remind everyone is I am of the opinion that many of the poor takes on alignment out there are, if not the direct result of the bad takes on alignment in the AD&D 2nd Edition Player's Handbook, certainly magnified by that book. And I'm not sure 5th Edition is entirely better, they're just briefer about it. <laughs> I would I would have to look at all of the different editions to see if there was an actual, I don't know... I, I recall 3rd Edition not being super bad in terms of alignment, but... 3rd Edition was bland, I remember that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fourth edition, they did weird things. Yeah. With, with with third edition, it was more like, you are lawful good, therefore you get these abilities. <laughs> Stuff like that. You're like restricted to certain classes. Restricted yeah. to certain yeah. spells. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was a whole thing. Restricted to certain races. Um, Actually, nothing no, you, didn't didn't have, you didn't have racial alignments that were required in third edition, thank goodness. I believe but, if you wanted to play any of the non-standard races, there were. So if I wanted to play a centaur, mm -hmm. I would have had to have been, I believe, I believe lawful neutral. I don't think they had any of the, like, always lawful neutral. Yeah, they had a, they had a very they had a, common, but yeah, you very could be strong the but No, I remember that they did because I was told no. <laughs> I was told, no, you cannot play this because you only ever play chaotic good and therefore you cannot play this. I think that may have been your gaming group rather than the, no, what the book no, said, Jenny. No, I remember because they pointed to the section of the stat block for the centaur and said right. no. Let me, right. let me grab well, so first a, of all, I, that annoys me. I've already got my monster manual. Don't worry about it. Okay. Yeah, but, but you would be going from like some other race book or something, not what's in the monster manual. 
Centaurs were in the monster manual. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, centaur. So whoever told you this about centaurs was just flat out wrong because yeah. alignment is usually neutral good. Usually neutral good. Okay. Yeah. You said and you huh. said they were lawful. Lawful was, neutral. She I said. I was yeah. pulling an. I was pulling a very old memory. Out okay. Of my I mean brain. that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> For, for the exact alignment, but I remember being told no because it's not chaotic good. Okay. Well, again, usually is, I think, one of those other alignment terms that a lot of I, it people It still have. rankles me. Yeah, no, I understand. Oh, I, don't get me wrong. It does with me, too, but it mm-hmm. wasn't mandated, even though some people were idiots and made it that and way. And that's the thing. I think a lot of people are like, well, it's said usually, so of course they're all this. No, no. We're using usually to leave room for individuals. <laughs> yeah. You're you're usually awake. Does that mean you never sleep? Yeah. Also, who decided centaurs were good? Has anyone here read Greek mythology? Uh, I mean, there was one. Let's He's talk about right. the Rakshasa, or let's not because uh, that's a whole episode. Could, could we so, not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that could go in maybe the next episode in this series. No, it can go in the. Um, could we please stop appropriating things from other cultures and doing it badly? Episode. Real I mean, badly, the Rakshas is the worst. Anyway. Yeah, all right, all right. So, AD&D 2nd Edition. Here's the AD&D 2nd Edition take on the lawful neutral alignment. To quote, Order and organization are of paramount importance to characters of this alignment. They believe in a strong, well-ordered government, whether that government is a tyranny or benevolent democracy. The benefits of organization and regimentation outweigh any moral questions raised by their actions. An inquisitor determined to ferret out traitors at any cost, or a soldier who never questions his orders, are good examples of lawful neutral behavior. And then the fifth edition take is shorter, lawful neutral individuals act in accordance with law, tradition, or personal codes. Many monks and some wizards are lawful neutral. It's, yeah. Like assigning, okay, it's not quite as bad as it was last week when they were talking about paladins are lawful good. It's like, you have official paladin archetypes that basically can't be good. Like, I know. The Oath of Conquest is in there. I you know. could maybe play one of those as lawful All right, neutral. Let's, let's, let's not talk about lawful good. We're talking about lawful <laughs> neutral. I'm I'm just saying, like... <laughs> yeah. So here's here's the first thing about the 5th edition one. It's very problematic that in its brevity, it entirely elides the question of morality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? The AD&D 2nd edition one at least tries to talk a little bit about morality. I just think it, A, does it somewhat badly, and B, everything that they're talking about there is fundamentally about law and government not structure moral codes order, or yeah. structure or traditions or anything like that and i feel like the the fifth edition one at least calls those out well where it says look we're talking about something beyond the law of the state some good and some bad here's the thing about lawful neutral for me this is the obstacle alignment this is the npc as obstacle the bureaucrat who follows the rules exactingly, the the soldier who regrets their older orders, but, well, they're going to follow them regardless of personal beliefs, or the king who, you know, <laughs> feels that they have to act a certain way regardless of personal feeling. That's a real anime trope right there, my goodness. Tradition states that I must. Yeah, or, the, you know, the law says that I must. Yeah, you know, very anime. 
The other archetype here is like the chieftain or king or whoever who says, you know, oh, well, in order for me to help you, you have to perform this traditional ordeal or solve this trial. We, you know, there are certain things that we must do to be able to assist you or believe you rather than using You must saw judgment. down the mightiest tree in all the forest. Well, with not quite that herring. bad, but like the, you know, go solve this dungeon. Kind well, of that thing, was a specific know. Monty Python reference I just made there. But yeah, are, are you trying to Monty Python splain me? I, I well, I mean, you acted like you didn't know what it was. So no, I was just trying yourself. to hurry it along because otherwise, <laughs> I will talk about Monty Python for an hour and we'll never get anywhere. Yeah, uh, the, the other one that I've got in here is the ship AI that's smart enough to know what the PCs want, but won't allow them to turn life support back on because there's a burnt out light bulb down in engineering. Sure, mm-hmm. like anything like that. Yeah, like you said, it's the obstacle alignment. Anything that is like, nope. The rule says I can't. <laughs> yeah, the letter of the law. I'd, I'd say it goes beyond the letter of the law over the spirit of the law. I'd say that a, a lawful neutral character would not believe that the law has spirit. It is only letter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay, so I think we're all falling a little bit into a common trap here, which is to say that all lawful neutral characters are like this. Not necessarily, I, I have a lot. Well, yeah. no, no, because we, we literally just said that. Right. A lawful neutral character would think this. I feel like there's a lot of room in all of these alignments. What we're talking about here is tendencies and mm-hmm. worldviews. Yeah, we we mentioned this in the last uh, um, episode. It's it's about like patterns and what characters do when you kind of average it out over the whole the, the whole you're not like defined by the best or worst or most lawful or most chaotic thing that you've ever done it's it's patterns consistency there are characters i can think of who may you know who i would classify as lawful neutral but part of their character arc is discovering that the system that they had faith in is not as good as they thought it was and deciding that it does need to change is that a transition maybe from like a what we might call a lawful neutral to lawful good? In some cases, yes. In other cases, it's just, no, the system is broken and it's I, we're going to make this one change so that we can get back to a proper orderly method of doing things. And I want to stress that when I talk about the obstacle alignment here, I'm not necessarily even saying that the characters we've just described are unsympathetic to the needs of player characters. They just believe that... They can only help these player characters through laws or traditions or moral codes, not despite those things. Yeah, something, some sort of condition needs to be fulfilled. Once it is, it's like, okay, the switch is open. We can help you. Yeah, or it's uh, my way of helping is through this complex bureaucracy or through, you know, my, my programming or whatever it is. There are plenty of fictional examples, Peter is, of course, very fond of one in particular. Peter? Yep. Okay, so I, I really think that this is probably the archetypal or quintessential example of lawful neutral in fiction that people will know of, and this is good old Inspector Javert from Les Mis. He knows what he isn't, what he's doing isn't just, but it is the rules. So instead of simply declining to pursue Jean Valjean, he tries to get around it in ways that are still part of the system, including bringing in another person who claims to be Jean Valjean, which Valjean himself thwarts uh, when it reaches a point where he realizes that he cannot pursue this virtuous man anymore. Instead of doing something to alter the system, like um, we referenced just a moment ago, he destroys himself via suicide rather than breaking the rules. 
that is as lawful neutral as you can possibly get. It's a good one. Mm -hmm. There's another yeah. one, and I I didn't look up the name of this character because it's a relatively minor character as these go. I have a soft spot for David Eddings. He's not the world's best author, but look, I I had I grew up with him, and yeah. It's you fun. don't need to. He's not so bad. You need to be ashamed either. I mean, no, but you know, he's he's a little repetitive, shall we say? Yeah, but he's fine. I, he is. Yes. In the the Sapphire Rose, the third book of the Elenium series. That's the series that I've read. I really enjoyed that series. I think it's quite good. I think in some ways better than the Mallory and, and Bulgarian. There's a, a several scenes where the characters are essentially engaging in political maneuvering using Robert's Rules of Order. It's not actually Robert's Rules. It's, you know, a fantasy version of that. But the idea is they're going through this whole kind of debate and a church election, actually. And they're having to twist and turn the rules around and take advantage of uh, procedural processes and all this sort of nonsense. And they sort of have an ally in the guy enforcing the rules who's kind of in charge of the whole proceeding but he's very much tied to those rules. He's very sympathetic. He doesn't want to see the bad guy who's trying to, you know, become elected fantasy pope win. He's not going to change the rules. He's not going to lie. He's just going to kind of give a wink and a nod to certain you know, be like, hey, you should try this rule or, you know, hey, here's a heads up. But if the bad guy wins, well, so be it. Those are the rules. Right. That, that's my kind of classic example of a character who is sympathetic to a good cause, but the rules are important. Yeah. Yeah, that is yeah. a good one. And I, I think that kind of is my way of leading into talking about playing a lawful neutral character well, right? This is not the fourth good alignment, but it's also not the fourth evil alignment. Lawful characters believe these rules exist for a good reason, but they care about those rules and trust those rules and are willing to write off losses to those rules that good characters might not. Yeah, there's there's usually not any cruelty or sadism to it. That's when you start getting into lawful evil. But there is kind of a certain callousness or indifference to the lives and experiences of others. There can be. If the rules don't help the, you know, don't mandate that they be helped in some way. Yeah, I, I think I, I don't want to say that that's always the case. Sometimes I think it's a willful blindness. In other cases, it's a sort of a trust that, well, it must be better for all of us. Yeah, like, I don't want to say it's always callous. I think there's lots of different ways to play that. And I think some of the more sympathetic ones are perhaps more interesting. Yeah, they, they are. But eh, I mean, a lot of the time it's just like, I have these rules, so I don't have to actually care. <laughs> it can absolutely be that, and I don't want to pretend it's not. For me, it, this is one of those things that Peter and I have argued about constantly, not just on the mics. Throughout our entire gaming uh, career, yes. Mo better part of a decade friendship, really. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Peter and I draw the line on where lawful neutral versus lawful e evil is uh, very differently in some cases. And for me... Somebody who's lacking empathy in their application of law sometimes really veers into lawful evil. Whereas for Peter, I don't want to speak for you entirely, but I feel like it's a little different sometimes because you're saying this is lawful neutral. It's like, I don't think so. Okay, so basically, so? just to break it down, lawful good is orderly empathy and sympathy. Lawful neutral is orderly 
apathy and callousness and lawful evil is orderly malice and cruelty is how I kind of define it. Okay. Jenny, you're going to break this tie. I'm going to break myself in half. All right. That, that works. <laughs> I, okay. Not exactly. I, cause here's the thing. I can see where you're both coming from. All of the neutral al- alignments are by default, my least favorite and my most hated mm, yeah. because I am, I fall real hard on the notion that if you are taking neutrality, you have already taken the side of oppressive. I'm I'm kind of with you. I see neutral as diet evil in a lot of cases. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's just, uh, okay, here's where I'm going to bring in a thing that happened today and where I'm going to break <laughs> it down into like what actually happened and then what I think would have happened in the case of lawful neutral thing that happened today i had a kid punch another kid in a bad place and it was not great the uh, the kid who got punched defended himself because that's what you do when you get punched and then the puncher came to me expecting sympathy and i told him to go home that and that's cuz that's what happens when you start a fight I tell the person who starts the fight to go home. If I had been doing the lawful neutral thing, I'd have sent both kids home because per library policy, physical violence is grounds for expulsion from the library. It does not stipulate if defense, physical violence in in self-defense is grounds for, you know, keeping yourself there. Right. It's a zero tolerance kind of policy. I wouldn't call it zero tolerance because zero tolerance policy is where I bring in lawful evil. Interesting. Because I've got some other experiences with zero tolerance policies. So it I would call it a a neutral policy because the policy itself does not exactly state self-defense as an exception for getting expelled. Yeah, it, it doesn't even mention self-defense at all. It's just like if you punch, you get kicked out. That's it. I'm simplifying the story a huge amount here, but like if I had kicked both kids out, I would consider that to be a bad, like a real big bad because it's it is lawful, but it is still wrong. (laughs) And so it doesn't to me, it doesn't matter if it's the law or not. If I'm doing a wrong, I'm doing a wrong. This is why we're glad that we have public servants like Jenny in place in some places. Thank you. Thank you. For me, I feel that that is, I I would classify that under lawful neutral, but I think it's a very, it is that very callous sort of lawful neutral where it's like, we just want order and we don't care. Yeah. Having seen more malicious systems, I can't classify those sorts of systems as malicious, but they are very much a not our problem sort of code. Yeah. Yeah. And actually not my problem is is probably like the motto of lawful neutral in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's it's like, eh, I have a very specific defined set of things that I need to be concerned about. And the list is not subject to expansion unless you file your forms. Yeah, it is that very bureaucratic alignment. Absolutely. Yeah. There are other takes on lawful neutral. I'm personally very fond of, for example, v- societies of things like ants as lawful neutral. Mm. 
Okay. Yeah. I have a fun science fact for you. Everybody ready for a, a real lawful neutral uh, a story here? Science fact time. I'm ready. Sure. All right. So I don't remember the name of the scientist doing this experiment, but it turns out that when ants die, they, after a couple days, exude a particular chemical that has a particular smell, and that acts as a trigger for ants to pick up the dead ant and take it to the dump. Most ant hills actually have a dump where trash is disposed of, and that includes dead ants. So scientists, being little bits of jerks that they are, uh, this particular scientist was like, who discovered this went, oh, that's neat. What happens if I put that chemical on a live ant? And the answer is, other workers pick up the ant and put it in the dump, and the ant believes it's dead. Oh, and no. stays in the dump oh, no. until the until the chemical wears off and it goes, oh, wait, I don't belong here after all, and gets back oh, to work. No. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That, that's lawful neutral, all right. Yeah. Science facts. They're great. <laughs> wow. If I were running a D&D game and I had a society full of ants, I would absolutely want that kind of behavior. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you're exploring some giant, uh, you know, super ant mound they kind don't of thing, like right? Kill the ant and make sure that it's dead before they. It's like, oh nope, this has the this has the go in the pile smell. Just pick it up and stick it in there. Right. Yeah. Or wait, if we coat ourselves with go in the pile goo, we get to be brought in. <laughs> yeah. Use the system. Yeah, kill one of the warrior ants and then spread the goo on yourself. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, that idea of like, but I, I, the idea of the rules apply to myself, even when they are not to my advantage, I feel mm. is extremely lawful neutral. Yeah. Because there's a certain selflessness to it in mm-hmm. certain cases where it's like, well, law says I'm getting hung. G- give me the gallows. Yeah. It, there, there can be that particular archetype where it's like, you know, orders are orders. I'm going to yeah. charge, you know, I'm going to charge and, you know, I'm going to die tomorrow because the king said, go do this. Or the general said, we're making this last stand, but I could slip away. But orders are orders. And my code says not to run. There was a really interesting post I saw recently about a guy asking one of his friends who used to work on a bomb squad, like how stressful it must have been. And the guy was like, Eh, not really. Either I defuse the bomb, or it's not my problem anymore very quickly. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a blasé attitude to being next to high explosives, if ever I've heard one. Yeah. Also, I said defuse. I meant defuse. Eh, we knew what you meant. Yeah. This kind of brings up an interesting example where you can have a character that is just following like a specific set of rules, but it can look really close to good if those rules are benevolent enough rules. And I'm I'm thinking specifically of the captain in my Sunday game, who is played by uh, Brian from Geek at Arms. So, hey, Brian. His character, Ed Borth, is lawful neutral, but you would not know it based on the way he acts a lot of the time. He's, he's a very solid... He's very ethical, but it's like he kind of worked out the ethics ahead of time and just sticks to those. So it'll be interesting Mm -hmm. if he runs into situations where it's like, well, this is what I should be doing according to, you know, this code that I have. But the rest of my good aligned crew is screaming at me and trying to drag me away. (laughs) So I'm kind of it'll be interesting to see if that 
situation ever comes up. I think any you can kind of just use lawful neutral as the default alignment for a lot of organizations that have just a goal rather than a code of ethics, really. Yeah. So, you know, a company trying to make money. You know, they're not necessarily actively trying to be evil, but they're not trying to be good either. They're trying to have rules and make money within a system. Yep. Right. And I think that's true of a lot of people as well. They're just trying to get by. Like, there are more lawful neutral people out there than I think we want to say because they're just they're working within the system and just trying to get by. Yep. We talked about AIs earlier, robots, right? This is I mean, Modrons are the archetypal lawful neutral D&D. Yeah, and they are, they are totally creature. not robots from the robot plane of gears. So. Yeah, no, no. They're <laughs> certainly not robots from Mechanus. No, not from there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on, Modron. Sounds very much like a robot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One thing I do want to mention, talking about government bureaucracy, right? Again, very much a, a, a lawful neutral kind of thing. They're not, again, lawful neutral characters are not necessarily unsympathetic and they often want to do good. And so navigating a bureaucracy or some arcane system of rules can be something a character can be good at and can use to their advantage. And those are good NPCs or good player characters. Actually, one example that I want to give of that from a piece of media that I hope most of the folks listening to this have uh, seen. Have you guys seen The Incredibles? Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know that scene where he's got the the old lady in his office? Oh, yeah, and yeah, he's yeah. Like, we actually just I can't tell it. you to, I would love to, you know, help you, but I can't. I absolutely would not tell you to file this form and go to this office and give it to this person. And then his boss is like, they are penetrating the bureaucracy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the, yeah, that's exactly it, right? And that might be lawful good in some ways, right? Oh, but you can very easily have a lawful case, yeah. neutral character who's like, well, I want to do good, but the rules are this, but I will use the rules to my advantage. And that's not just a bureaucrat. It might be a courtier. It might be a politician. It might be an expert in an industry. It might could be, be a, a hacker. Spy. I could I could <laughs> very much make a case that lawful neutral in- includes hackers in many cases because they're all about system. Yeah, right. that's, that's a real strong argument there, I think. All in all... When the rules matter more than most other things, but you're not actively trying to hurt people, it's lawful neutral, right? Yeah. We've been talking a lot about legal codes and bureaucracy, but anybody with a rigid personal code certainly could qualify for this as well. Uh, monastic orders mm-hmm. uh, if could certainly be lawful neutral if they are about, say, meditation and personal development and, and personal enlightenment rather than, say, going out Charity. and actually doing good or, you know, worship or something like that. You, you could make a good argument there, especially in some sort of uh, fictional setting. We meditate upon the great dragon. Yeah, know? well, I'm looking at this module, right? This Princes of the Apocalypse module. And one of the factions is an order of monks who basically just say, please go away. We're, we're all about worshiping this one thing and we do it privately everybody stay out we don't talk to anyone Mm -hmm. i mean that you know it comes off as very lawful neutral to me as far as some specific advice uh you know i don't want to say that you have to always follow the rules i again we talked about this earlier not following rules or code should be a challenge for a player character to overcome if you've decided this is they're going to be kind of generally lawful neutral because the those rules are important but everybody has a breaking point 
And these are barriers to overcome in some stories, not a, a rule I will absolutely live and die by, no questions asked. It's just, it's harder for me to agree that disobeying is a good thing. Now, for NPCs, it it may well, you know, serve you to make them totally inflexible. Uh, that gets back to, like, the obstacle thing from earlier. If you want your characters to have to take, like, another way around or work within the system that this person is, you know, rigidly enforcing or something like that, then, yeah, like, you've got a good narrative reason to make this character just completely inflexible. What you don't want to do with a lawful neutral character anyways, is have them start moving the goalposts when the player characters start doing what they said. That's yes. lawful evil. Yeah. I, like, I agree. That's a good lawful point. Lawful neutral will point. be like, yes, you have filed all the proper forms. Stamp, here is your magic sword, sir. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And that is an excellent point. It's a good good catch there. You know, like I said earlier, this can sometimes look like good if, if the rules are good enough. It can also sometimes look like evil if the rules are cruel enough or cruel in this specific situation because they generally won't break them. They won't change them either, like I said earlier, but they're like, no, that's the rule. It it says that, you know, you said this, we have to take you outside and hang you. You had no idea that this was the rule, but that's the rule, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are you know, we talked about the um, the use of a lawful good character as an excuse for being a jerk at a table last time. Yeah. You can certainly run into the same problem with a lawful neutral character, but I feel like there are, unfortunately, plenty of real-world examples of this in religious authorities who are extraordinarily oh, yeah. strict. I mean, we, we read two pieces of scripture about Pharisees for a reason. Yeah, right. you know, I actually, I want to call out a specific example because... <laughs> Well, it was, you're familiar with the term angry God theology, yes? The idea yeah. that, that God is basically just livid at the entire human race 24-7. That was kind of the basis of Jack Chick's theology, the, the writer of the infamous Dark Dungeons track. In fact, actually, after he passed away, I wrote a blog post that I'll try and remember to link in the show notes about that, because... That's some toxic theology. Uh, we've we've actually got significant evidence in Scripture that God is not like that in both the Old and New Testament, but especially in Jesus's earthly ministry. I mean, we've got him crossing the lake into Gentile territory to exercise this poor guy who is driven mad by demon possession and living in the tombs. Like, he's not even part of Jesus's society, and he crosses a lake to do this. It's like, but that that whole angry God theology thing, that's your stereotypical inquisitor, witch hunter, like, you know, the, the ones that are a little less just homicidal maniacs that are using you know, religion as an excuse, it, you know, they can be pretty harsh. <laughs> Absolutely, they can. Fun fact, that was originally the angle I was going to go with, uh, with John in uh, the City on the Hill game. Really? Yeah, because a lot hmm. of bad stuff happened to him. Hmm. And at a very young age. And so the the original way I was going to go with John was that God is angry and punishes harsh. And it's uh, and initially I was going to go in a much darker direction with him. But then I had a lot of fun punning around. So <laughs> so I didn't do that. Well, um, and the game itself isn't all that dark either. So that would no, have been a little especially. against tone. Yeah. Well, it may have set the tone in some ways. You never know. 
But mm-hmm. yeah, I I like John as he is. He's a great character. Yeah. So thank you. You know, actually, speaking of that, just a quick aside, the last episode of City on a Hill that we recorded was like a big lengthy discussion about this kind of stuff. Go check that out. It was a it was a really fun, interesting discussion to be in. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. excellent. Definitely check that out. Since we're talking about other podcasts that maybe suggests that we um, we don't have a whole lot else on this topic. Anybody got anything else? No, I think I'm good. Not especially. I definitely want to hear our listeners take on the lawful neutral alignment, lawful neutral characters, ways to approach this alignment, other suggestions for playing characters of this alignment in particularly good ways. And I want to stress to everyone, we are using the alignment framework as a, a tool for discussion here to talk about different types of characters. If you are not playing D&D, hopefully some of these takes on character archetypes still apply. Don't think that character analysis is necessarily only the realm of Dungeons and Dragons, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it very yeah. much is not. This is just uh, the lingua franca of the RPG hobby, as it yeah. were. Yeah, it's it's turned into a meme beyond D&D. Like, I know a lot of people who found out about D&D because of the alignment chart memes. I know, yeah. that's just delightful. Yeah, and like, we're applying this... It, like specifically with lawful neutral, we've been talking about AI a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like this does not have to be a D and D thing by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for listening, folks. If you want to find us on the web, you can find us stgcast.org or of course on Twitter and Facebook as saving the game. We're also on iTunes and Stitcher and Google play and Podchaser and a couple other places. And if you would please rate and review the show, it helps us enormously. It really does. Go to iTunes and rate and review us. I know it might mean signing up for an Apple ID and, you know, having to, to remember one more password and all those little things. But every review helps us enormously in our visibility. It really does. It, and we're not necessarily saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, definitely give us five-star reviews. Those are appreciated. But if you have an honest opinion about our podcast, please express it. We pay attention. Yeah. Interaction, interaction is interaction. Yeah. yeah. Also that. If you want to interact with us in a more interactive way, I guess, come find us on our Discord server. That is linked through mm-hmm. our website at stgcast.org. Mm-hmm. It's a really nice group of people. I, I found a gaming group there, including, I'm pretty sure, the guy who asked us a question tonight. Although the only reason I'm hedging on that is I'm not sure it's the same Aaron <laughs> because... But I, I'm about 95% sure it is. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a nice group of people. There's some really good discussions. There's a bunch of them doing, like, devotionals on a rotating schedule. Um, yeah, very cool group. From all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one. Take it easy. We will catch you next time for a discussion of Lawful Evil. I'm looking forward to it. We'll see you then. See you see later, ya. folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.